Welcome to Altitude, the unsung heroes of cloud transformation, a podcast by Aviatrix. Today, more and more enterprises are moving their business up to the clouds as the race to innovate continues. In this multi-cloud world, IT leaders and teams find themselves behind the wheel, where they are confronted with both new challenges and new opportunities. On Altitude, we explore the voices and stories of the people who are overcoming these challenges every day to drive their business to the next level. Be sure to subscribe on your preferred listening app and stay tuned for this episode. Hello and welcome to Altitude, the podcast about the unsung heroes who live and work in the cloud. As always, I'm your host, Woody Woodworth, and today's topic is about SAP in the cloud, the good, the bad, and maybe the ugly. My guest today to help me with this topic is Luke Bockelman, who is a principal solutions engineer at Aviatrix. Luke, thanks for coming today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we get into the, you know, serious conversation about SAP and all of the intricacies therein, let's back up a little bit. Just tell me about yourself. How did you get involved in cloud? Was it a happy accident? Was it purposeful? I'm always curious about how people get involved in this industry because there's not like a cloud school that really people can go to. You can't major in cloud as an undergrad or something. So everyone finds themselves in this industry based on a number of different paths. So tell me a little bit about your path and what you're doing. Most recently, I've been at Aviatrix going on three years. And being at a startup, it's been fast and at times it's been slow, <laughs> but it's been very exciting. Leading up to this, I was at Juniper for about 10 years and sort of an inflection point for me was I was in the, what's called the control business unit, which was in the CTO office under Rami. And really I saw as we were moving into this SDN space, really the next thing being cloud. And I saw Steve Mullaney on one of his cube videos. He got me thinking. He was really charismatic and kind of like, wow, this guy really knows what's going on and where the companies that are trying to innovate in the cloud aren't going to be the Cisco's, the Juniper's, the VMware's. And I tested that by going to our executive leadership at Juniper. And I said, hey, we should really move into this space. And we were kind of dabbling in it a little bit. But it, again, it was a data center with the cloud being the edge rather than the reverse is what's really where the industry's headed. And they just said, hey, we need to focus on switching and routing and our competitors. And this whole innovator's dilemma, right, really came into fruition. And I saw it in real world. And then I saw some colleagues of mine heading over to Aviatrix and had an interesting backdrop and got me excited. And I knew that's where I wanted to take the next chapter of my career. Cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I was going to ask that next question, but you kind of helped answer it for me. But we can drill down a little bit more on that, which is the folks I talk to that come from the traditional networking side tend to see the trajectory of the industry and are kind of one step ahead. But they all have a similar story, which is the business leaders of these bigger networking shops don't quite get it. And they are just focused on the here and the now. And so they're skating where the puck is, as Wayne Gretzky would say, and not to where the puck needs to be, right? Which is his famous quote. I know we're here to talk about SAP, but what do you think it is about these more 
classic traditional networking shops that causes them to have this, I mean, for lack of a better term, nearsightedness, right? Why are they so focused on where the puck is instead of where the puck is going to be? Is it just a culture thing? Is it that's just where their business is and they don't really have a big business opportunity in cloud, so they don't want to grow there? I mean, it's kind of weird. What is your take on that? Yeah, no, I think it, it goes back to that innovator's dilemma. And I certainly recommend reading that book. It basically goes and says, people and companies cannot innovate in another area fundamentally because they have to spend all their money, their time and their resources competing with others in their same, I guess you could call it industry, like on-prem switching, routing, firewalling. There's such a competitive edge there that to actually fundamentally change how a company works, fundamentally change how a company thinks and operates, those innovators can't be the existing companies. So just like it had to be Tesla, it had to be other companies like that, that had to be somebody new that created that disruption is really how I see Aviatrix as well in the networking and security space in cloud. So it has to be somebody new. And that's why the dilemma faced with those other companies, they couldn't get out of their own way because they're too competitive with each other to really spend the resources, the time, the money, and really, like I said, the way the company is structured just didn't lend to a capability to do what we're doing. That's cool. That's always been kind of my reading as well, but it's good to hear it from other people. I never worked for Cisco or Juniper or another big classic networking shop. So uh, I just like to talk to people that come from that side of the fence and get their reading on it. But that message seems to be similar, right? Across the people I talk to. What was that book again? So I can add it to the list of things I should read while I'm watching YouTube. <laughs> Innovator's Dilemma. Innovator's Dilemma. Okay, I'll check that out. That sounds like required reading almost for people that are interested in cloud, right? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So let's use this next question as a good transition into SAP because I think it's a great bridge question, which is, is the on-prem world really going to evaporate, right? I mean, your big networking shops and other big data center-driven shops are betting that on-prem stays in some way, shape, or form, and that routing and switching in this traditional sense are still viable options. I mean, is this, is this true? Do we see patterns like SAP moving to cloud as indicative of the foundations of the traditional world really being washed away? Or are we moving to some kind of new hybrid that's here to stay? I think there is going to be a new hybrid. It's not going to be one or the other. I think both can be true at the same time. And that is that on-prem is here to stay as well as cloud. And I think there's going to be certainly innovations in the technologies that are going to drive the consumption of cloud, but there's always going to be your legacy application that just don't make sense to move to the cloud that just aren't capable of really adding incremental value, adding value really at all being there. And I think they're there to stay. Is the data center going to slowly die out? To a certain extent, I think part of it is, but I think it's going to be a hybrid world. And I think both the cloud, I think primarily in the growth trajectory, the cloud's going to grow faster than data centers. But I don't think the data centers are ever just going to go away forever. That, that I don't foresee in my lifetime. No, that makes sense. 
So what you're saying really is that there's going to be winners and losers in this migration story. And by that, I mean applications that will move to cloud successfully or partially successfully, as the case may be. And then some applications that I call heritage applications or legacy applications that are just so brittle or I don't know what the term would be, resistant or allergic to cloud that they simply can't move. And these winners or losers, SAP appears to be a winner, right? It appears to be this big first-class workload that is being moved to cloud, and there are some success stories there. So what is it about SAP that lends itself to being on the winner list, right? Is it because business leaders are identifying it and saying, oh, this is so important, I want to draw a red circle around this and my migration map so I have this success? Or are they saying, wow, no, there are really reasons why SAP belongs in cloud and why I want to do the heavy lifting to get it in? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And I think about that a lot, especially with my focus most recently on the strategic accounts like SAP and our partnership with them. But I think really it's two things. SAP, again, is a 50-year-old company, right? And if you look at the fundamental building blocks of an SAP system. Really, it was in 1992 that SAP, again, 50-year-old company, started in the 70s, early 70s, right? And it was in 1992 that SAP came out with R3, which was the first client-server model. So they moved from these big irons, right? You think of these big irons as these 18-wheelers with like this huge cab in the back, that's the server, right? And, and you know, virtualization in and of itself back then existed, right? They had virtualization in those big mainframes as a way of preventing memory and CPU processes from overrunning. But they really, in 1992, moved to this client-server model because of the advent of Intel, the advent of these chips that gave you the ability to do multi-processing, right? Sockets that could span across physical servers and really give you that same performance in x86. And so I think SAP saw that and they realized that for them to stay relevant, they needed to decompose their SAP application into a client server model, which really allowed them to scale. So I think SAP saw that in 92. And then what happened after that? The advent of the Cisco's of the world, the Junipers, the need to create distributed systems, distributed networks, virtual networks, all of that with MPLS and all these different technologies with that type of data center virtualization led us up to 2020, where SAP again saw, just like everything else, they saw cloud as the next thing, right? And I think them seeing that the Amazons of the world, the Azures of the world were making money and growing their business and growing their technology with this concept of a subscription license, right? SAP has always been a perpetual, like this server is this license and you get this feature. And if you look at the CapEx versus OpEx, I think SAP being a 50-year-old company that 87% of all transactions, business transactions run through, saw that, hey, we need to innovate and we need to take our core application, which was S4 HANA, and make it work in the cloud and take advantage of this subscription business, right? Adding more value to your data, right? That's really data is king. And they saw that 
if they could tie in all their other additional services like Ariba, Fieldglass, Concord into the data, which is centrally located in these very large memory footprint servers, they can make money and grow the business, right? And add value because I think SAP realized that although they think they're everything to everyone, the data needs to be shared. It needs to continue to add value. And to a certain extent, SAP can add a significant portion of that value, but there's also always going to be third parties. There's always going to be other companies that need to see that and get access to that data. So I think SAP saw that and that's why they're really taking on the cloud and their rise with SAP services. And the other sort of component I think not many people necessarily think about is as part of this s they have essentially divorced themselves from Oracle, right? If you think about in 92, a lot of the core applications in SAP were written on Java, but then guess who acquired Java? Well, Sun, and then guess who acquired Sun? Oracle. And now Oracle can no longer be a part of SAP because the SAP s database has to be the HANA database, not the Oracle database, not the Sybase database. And now SAP has this existential threat against Oracle, right? So there's a lot of factions, a lot of sort of interesting paradigms with how the industries, the ERP industry is working and how SAP, I think, saw from a threat perspective, the ability to basically take the $1 that they spend on-prem and how can you amplify that with additional services, as well as how do I compete with Oracle, who is now another ERP system that we are sort of divorcing ourselves from, as well as having to remove Java effectively from a lot of their infrastructure and really modernize it for the cloud. Let me jump in there. Oracle's really not a slouch though, right? I mean, there's still a big deal. So Larry Ellison took a different direction than SAP, which was instead of partnering with the major CSPs and building certified ecosystems across the board in all these different areas, I'm going to build my own cloud. And depending on who you talk to, that's been somewhere between a moderate to a roaring success, right? I mean, Oracle's one of the fastest growing clouds on the market if you go to Cloud Wars and check out their statistics and so forth. So here we have two kind of competing ideas about moving first-class workloads to cloud of the size and scope of SAP or Oracle. One is, I'm just going to build my own cloud and do it that way and then build an ecosystem around it. And the other is, no, I'm going to partner with a bunch of service providers and the CSPs and give customers more of a platform play across the major providers. So it's interesting. We'll see it's not like one approach is the right approach, but it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in terms of market adoption, which strategy is ultimately the most successful. Like SAP didn't build their own cloud, right? They are now just running the CSPs as a platform play. Yeah, as a SaaS play, as well as a on-prem, you could call on-prem being either data center or self-managed. But yeah, I mean, I think people say you can't kill Ellison out, right? He has a very intelligent way of diversifying, right? He has his ERP business. He has his Cerner acquisition in the medical field. He also has OCI. He's very diversified, but very influential, right? So those are always interesting sort of frictions in this whole ERP world that we live in. All right. So as I was preparing for this episode, 
as I do, I try to do a little bit of homework so that I don't sound like a complete Luddite. And I was reading through some of the overviews and marketing materials, technical marketing materials that each major CSP had around SAP. And it's all fairly well done. I mean, the CSPs have invested a tremendous amount of time and energy, all of them, Azure, GCP, AWS, et cetera. Obviously not Oracle for the reasons we discussed. I'm sure Alibaba probably has a SAP story as well. And they all have first-class literature on why, as a business decision maker, I should move SAP. So I'm just going to read some of this stuff and then let's talk about it and comment on it. So commonalities between these technical marketing slides or pages that we have here say that you're going to optimize on performance or cost. You're going to get a lot of great automation tools. You're going to get pay as you go or pay as you grow, as the case may be. You can scale in a way in cloud that you can't on-prem, as we know, through the hypervised environment. Although it's interesting that you mentioned SAP has already been hypervised and could do that same kind of thing in a private cloud, that you get virtual machines that have been custom built and certified for this experience. And you get this ecosystem of tools around it, like SAP can take advantage of other data structures that cloud has to offer, right? Like databases and analytics and smart analytics and AI and so forth. So if I'm a business decision maker, I'm reading these sheets and I'm like, hot dog, this sounds great. I want all this. Of course, why wouldn't I move SMP? So is the grass really greener? Or when people decide to move SAP over and take advantage of these things that this dazzling array of stuff that these CSPs promise, is it really successful or is it like faceplant? Yeah. Well, <laughs> now that, you know, how is that yeah. going? Are they able to realize these amazing capabilities or is the story somewhat darker? I think like anything like that, it sounds great until you're actually in the trenches, in the weeds. And again, I think what always gets forgotten is networking and network security. And I think that's where yeah, SAP is, everyone knows it as, if you operate it right, it's great. But when it's broken, it's the worst nightmare of your life because it's complex. And we talked about SAP and why they have this RISE initiative and why they're moving to the cloud and the value that they're bringing. And the CSPs are building that infrastructure, as you said, they have to be certified. SAP is a very regimented deployment model in any CSP. But again, what goes unheard, unnoticed, and forgotten until there's a problem is the network, right? And the necessity to build the right network, layer three, layer four infrastructure to be able to provide this optimization for HA performance, security, and cost. And that's where the CSPs are falling short. And I think that's what customers are realizing. It's that if you don't build the network right, you don't architect it right, then when things like SAP is slow, trying to solve for that on-prem, it was much easier. Why? Because you knew you had the switches, the routers that you could dig in all the way at layer one, layer two, layer three. In the cloud, it's very different. And now these consumers of SAP are desperate. They're desperate to have that same visibility and control they're used to on-prem in the cloud. And I think definitely the marketing has been great for these CSPs to get SAP in the cloud. But again, troubleshooting, slowness, 
building the right architectures, getting third-party connectivity, connecting self-managed to say these rise SaaS services, those aren't easy. And especially when there's problem, it's really hard to troubleshoot. So I think the services around SAP and the actual getting SAP deployed is easy, but managing it, architecting it, connecting it, securing it, those are always thought of at the very end, right? By these business initiatives. And that's really where customers are hurting the most these days. Yeah. Okay. So I have this theory based on my experience in cloud that SAP isn't the only big workload to suffer from this challenge, right? That it's a broader problem. And this is my theory and you can agree with it or disagree with it or tear it apart or whatever you want. This is just Woody's theory that the people that are really the key decision makers and developers and builders in the big public clouds are very data-driven, right? And they're incredibly gifted here. They build some really amazing data analysis, AI, ML capabilities, right? That's dollars to donuts where a lot of their advantages are and a lot of their talent is. But then networking is kind of left out in the cold because in your typical data-driven ecosystem, the network is just something that was always just kind of there and always kind of worked and these big platforms would just use it and then IT would just sort it out, right? <laughs> like, good luck with that. Yeah. The network has always worked before. Why wouldn't it work again in cloud? And so it's interesting how networking is always kind of this pain point in cloud for so many different workloads and is one of the biggest blockers. And we might throw security in on that list as well. But I think we have kind of in an inverse way, like we do with the traditional networking shops saying that the data centers aren't ever going to go away. And what we really need to do is take data center networking technology and make the cloud look like that. I think they're betting on the fact that these disadvantages in cloud might give them an advantage there. And then the clouds are saying, well, it really is all about data. The network is just going to kind of figure itself out. And then in the middle is IT. In the middle is IT just getting pulled apart. So talk to me a little bit about the disparity between these business decisions that are based on this promise of all this agility and scale and cool access to other services you get and moving something like SAP versus where the rubber meets the road. I mean, you talked about it in more detail when you're saying the network and the security piece of where it starts to crumble, but how is that impacting IT teams on a day-to-day -day basis? Like, how are they living in this world with that? Yeah. That's why I think Aviatrix has really been doing huge success over the past three years I've been here. Again, it's the networking on-prem people that are now being forced to learn cloud. And that's where the rubber meets the road. It used to be the cloud team and the DevOps team swiping the credit cards and getting the deployments. But now business critical apps like SAP are in the cloud. The Toyota CIO said if it goes down for a minute or two, they lose an entire car, right? You have these types of business critical apps that really can't afford to be down. And the decision to move to the cloud is already done. And now it's about enabling the on-prem networking team to be able to consume and understand cloud. And you have to start with something that they're used to and comfortable. And that is 
typically something like an aviatrix where you can actually look at things, look at a packet capture, do a trace route, be actually on these gateways to actually do the same diagnostics that they're used to on-prem and be able to automate the provisioning of these networks, right? And connect them and build that repeatable architecture. That's what network folks are used to. And that's the trend we're seeing where it's no longer just the cloud team doing this and they're following the step one, build a 10 slash eight network and then connect this to that. And then they have a bunch of 10 slash eight networks all over the place. And guess what? You have to centrally manage it. So they're throwing their hands up and saying, Hey, network guys for on-prem, please help fix this. Right? So just simple things like that, where they're realizing that this is a lot more complex than they expected. It's not just cookie cutter and they really need an enterprise grade solution. So let's nerd out and get a little bit more specific because I think we both agree that some of the challenges that businesses experience and IT teams experience migrating SAP are broadly network related and broadly due to the fact that you don't have the same networking stack as on-prem, that it operates with different laws, different physics, and in that difference is an opportunity for failure or disaster, right? Because you don't have visibility and control and all these things. However, to really get into the belly of the beast here, are there things that are network driven that are specific to SAP that the cloud networks just don't do right? I mean, I think we can, again, agree broadly, networking has always been a sore point in cloud because of just that big delta and that big difference and the skills gap. Do you have some concrete examples to say, here's some things that SAP relies on on on-prem and then when you move to cloud, it just burns? Yeah. I mean, it starts with just HA, right? It starts with just this concept of an overlay IP and the fact that you can't have fundamentally, say, for example, in EWS, you can't have the same private IP in AZ1 move over to AZ2. So if you have a problem, say, with AZ1 and you need to move over to AZ2, you have to be able to move or somehow have an overlay or floating IP. Well, that in on-prem was very easy because you could configure that and then use a standard routing protocol to advertise that out. But in the cloud, you have to figure out, all right, how do I add this additional IP? How do I then statically put it here and put it there and propagate this and that? And you know, it's brittle and prone to error, right? So simple things that you're used to on-prem can become exponentially more complex as you grow your cloud presence, because if you're doing it either wrong or you're doing it manually, or even if you're doing it in some automated form, how do you actually know and see and touch and feel where those routes are, how that's connected and how that service is provided? Because the console that you're using or the CSP environment that you're using is just clicky, clicky, clicky and or some automation behind it, but it can slow things down. And the one thing for sure is this whole transformation with SAP is a three to five year project, right? And it's the network team and security team that are, again, the last to know that this is happening, right? So they have to learn this very quickly. And customers that I'm talking to, they have 20 CCIEs on their company, right? These are major, major companies, billions of dollars in revenue. They have one or two 
cloud networking guys, one guy at most at times that is in charge of the entire SAP migration. Can you imagine the amount of pressure and the amount that this person needs to learn if they're in one cloud, much less another, and then understand all the nuances? You would be surprised. You're talking to these major, major Fortune 500 companies. They have one or two guys because the executives think it's all clicky, clicky, and it just works and it's always working. And they don't have the people. They don't know what they don't know. And again, going back to like one of the main things is they have minimal staff and they have to figure out this SAP is slow and figuring out why, right? And, and that's really a big, big challenge. And one of the reasons why I think, again, that Aviatrix is successful. We've done a lot of class half empty, which I think is important because I want to be pragmatic and I don't want to sugarcoat anything. That's not what this show was about, right? This show was about, again, the unsung heroes that are making these things happen, right? Who are not jumping out of a window, who are digging in and solving and moving mountains. So let's talk more about glass half full. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, as they say, water will find a way. There's too much momentum and money and attention to these workloads for them to just fail overall. And so there must be some successes here, right? There must be people that persevere and these things work and they get built. And then at the end of the day, companies are happy and they're running SAP in the cloud and it's a game changer for them, right? So you've been involved in some big migrations with some big customers. Talk to me about some good stories. What are customers and IT professionals doing right to make this stuff work? Well, it's about building the architecture and building the framework first and then being able to then move SAP into it and building it in such a way that, again, SAP is, yes, it's a three-tier app. Your Fiori, which is your web, you have your ABOP, which is your application, you have your DB. But building the right architecture to then be able to consume those third-party services, Boomi services, as you know, SQL services, Rise services. So the successful customers that I have seen have built the right network and security architectures in the cloud, created an automation framework to be able to consume these services and the not only just application services, but then network services, things like landing zones and standardized places for traffic to come in and traffic to go out. And by creating that standard framework, then it's just repeatable from there on out. So the customers that I've helped with and customers we've seen be successful with this SAP migration has really gotten ahead of it. It's almost a benefit that SAP migrations are slow because if this is a three to five year thing, there's time for the network and the infrastructure to be built and built correctly beforehand and even during like plenty of brownfield migrations, right? 90 plus percent of what I've worked with in the past have been brownfield migrations because they've hit this pain. But getting in and doing a migration and getting that normalized has really been a game changer with then how additional services, additional add-ons and additional value that SAP offers to the S4 HANA in the cloud has come to fruition. So there are plenty of success stories, but it starts off with building the right architecture and almost being that it takes so long to transform, to do this 
business transformation for SAP, that building the network and building infrastructure in the cloud is pretty easy. And that's how we can come in and get in there and get in there at the right time. So last question, there's a lot of questions I want to ask, but we definitely want to be mindful of time and the listener journey and everything. But you mentioned that these migrations take a long time, but in the enterprise world, there will be a lot of smart people involved to try to shorten that time frame, right? And to try to work and find patterns and practices to reduce the amount of time it takes to migrate and spin up these big workloads like SAP. So tell me some success stories there. What are people doing to make this migration faster? Because one of the big detriments to a migration is the time that it takes. And that time translates to lost dollars and lost opportunity, right? So for sure, the industry won't rest there, right? There must be things people are doing to shorten that time frame. Yeah. And it starts with creating a dev environment and creating a path from on-prem to the cloud that is fast encrypted and gives them the services to the respective CSPs that they need to get to where SAP runs best. Now, when you say SAP runs best, it could be because the subscription license for that CSP is what meets your budget or the performance or other sorts of reasons why. The reason why I think these are, again, successful is because they put a dev workload in there. They've actually validated what that transactional experience is in dev, and then they move prod. So there's always going to be a pre-prod UAT prod environment, and they've exhaustively gone through the different types of SAP transactions. They understand how you're connecting in. They have a known expected user experience. It's all about preparation. And again, the ones that, that I've seen successful have built the architecture correctly. They've been and intercepted the times when they're cleaning the core, optimizing their business logic, simplifying, stripping down all of the bulk, right? Because again, this is a long period of time to actually do this SAP business transformation, but you need to be able to understand and make sure you you're again, building that architecture and you have a known outcome in dev and how that'll translate into prod such that when you flip to prod from on-prem to prod in the cloud, that user experience is exactly what you expected, right? And having the adequate ability to look at dev, look at QA and actually validate the infrastructure and validate the transactional or user experience for SAP is what you expect, right? So it's, a bit about preparation and doing it the right way the first time. Awesome. Well, Luke, I feel infinitely smarter about SAP now than I did at the beginning of the session. So thank you. You are an amazing fountain of knowledge on this topic, and it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. So thanks for coming on and answering all these questions in such great detail. And I, I wish you the best of luck with your next SAP migration. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you.